Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. I'm Krista. I'm Kristen. And we are the, the Sixth Sense, Sense Society. Society. Welcome to another episode of the Sixth Sense Society. Tonight we are going to be talking about everything psychic, from getting re- readings to being a reader to some advice for people starting to be readers. But first we're going to talk about the cosmic weather. And it is, it is an interesting week this week. Uh, tonight we have a waning crescent moon in the sign of Aquarius. And on Tuesday we have our first Mercury retrograde. That's the fifth. It's going to be in 29 degrees, 36 minutes of Pisces at 11.19 a.m. Wednesday we have two things. We have, and that's the sixth, we have a new moon also in 15 degrees and 47 minutes of Pisces at 8.05 a.m. And... Once again, Uranus moves into Taurus now for, you know, now a a good seven years or so. So it's a very eventful week. Uh, I did want to talk a little bit about um, sort of the concept of Mercury retrograde. Krista knows I have some different ideas about it. And I've been thinking uh, quite a lot about it in general. Um, The first thing I'd like to point out with any retrograde planet is it's just the appearance that the planet is moving backwards. And it's an illusion. And I have been thinking about this for years, that it's not a real thing. Uh, And as a result, you can also approach a retrograde as more of a philosophical um, viewpoint, so that it doesn't have to even represent anything outside of oneself. Uh, I know there are some astrologers that would disagree. I will say that I was listening to Rick Levine recently, and Mm -hmm. he thinks that the whole idea of you can't sign contracts and you cannot travel during Mercury retrograde is really absurd. And he had an interesting view on his recent forecast. Um, He was talking about how, at least with the inner planets, when um, it's retrograde, the planets are closer to the Earth and they're louder. So it was an interesting thought, but even having said that, I think that you can approach, approach astrology like the hermetic people would do, where you can look at it as reflecting the outer world, reflecting the inner world. Because Mercury in the tarot is associated with two positions, at least Kabbalistically speaking. It's associated with the card, the magician. And the magician is uh, way up high in um, the, the tree of life. It's between um, Kether and the aces and the threes. So that's a very conceptual placement, and I think in this position, Mercury represents part of thought and how thought processes work. And then it's also in the eights, and that's where you see, in the eights, you start to see things starting to materialize. And so one could say, well, this is going to be thought materialized. So that can mean communication and, you know, the results of how you're thinking. So I think one way I, I I would like to suggest we can approach the concept of Mercury retrograde, especially in Pisces, is looking at your thought processes 
and um, seeing if there's some things that, because Pisces is connected to the 12th house, that you might like to dissolve in terms of patterns of thinking. Um, it's not comfortable in Pisces, but again, I'm, I, it doesn't mean it can't work. It's so it doesn't necessarily feel at home in the sign of Pisces. But Pisces is, is very creative. It's associated with um, uh, spirituality, mysticism, uh, high arts, music, dance, fantasy, dreams. So it can be, I think, a very imaginative time. And so I, I thought that might be an interesting way to kind of go within and say, well, what are my thought processes? And also, I think just being creative will be um, interesting. I, I will say you can get a little foggy because I, I kind of even felt that the other day. We were all at the bookstore and we felt this kind of fog coming in and we were like, and it wasn't a real fog. And so the antidote to um, the Pisces is Virgo. Not the antidote, the opposite. So what you can do during this time, if you happen to escape too much of reality, even in your thoughts, you can basically, uh, you can basically uh, do something Virgo-ish, clean your drawers out, you know, something very particular. Um, so that would be one. I did that the other day, actually. So that was just the thought I wanted to put out about Mercury retrograde, not the sort of traditional view of it. And, and there's no right or wrong way, by the way, even with some astrology. It's really interesting because we are coming to the end of the lunar year um, and, and in the spring equinox, which is coming up on the March 20th, we're going to be headed into the brand new astrological year and it's going to be Aries. So kind of what you're saying about, and it's interesting, we have this retrograde in Pisces, which is the last sign, which is the completion, which is the end of the astrological year. And it's a good time to actually be reevaluating in general what just the year itself mm -hmm. um i always think it takes a little time into the new year to kind of get things a little bit rocking because sometimes things do follow us from one year to the next and pisces can be a little bit of a foggy sign it can be a little bit like well what choice do i make i want to i want to make these 10 goals this year but realistically you only knew that you only know you can do three to completion so this is a really great time with this retrograde here to actually just take a look at some things that you've been thinking about at the end of last year and through the beginning of this year and may think about is this kind of what i want to really focus on this year and again you can always alter it it's never set in stone like if you if you're re as we're reevaluating, there's going to be more than one mercury retrograde and they're all going to be significant for different things but i think it's very important that we're coming to the, the end of winter you know, everything really is beginning to die off. Old cycles are ending and the spring and the new cycle is beginning. And it's a, it's actually a beautiful time, but it can be a little bit of a, a little bit foggy, a little bit like, you know, um, that kind of energy where what do I choose and how do I ground myself in reality? And Pisces often, I mean, I, I love Pisces because they they can be the dreamers they are the philosophers but sometimes it, it, the shadow side of that energy is just being a little bit of you know a little mm -hmm. bit of that you know stereotypical here we're here we're venice beach people but those <laughs> typical typical stereo you know venice beachy kind of feel um so it is important to magic is beautiful have magic in your lives but also stay grounded and be realistic because being realistic and being structured is how we make our dreams come true 
Yeah, and the other thing I, I'll mention quickly is that uh, all of Mercury in retrograde this year will be largely in water signs, I think except for a little bit in Leo in the summer, but it's going to be a water sign. And there's also a misunderstanding, I think, of, of the water signs, more based on Kabbalah. Um, it isn't just about emotion. So in, right. in the Kabbalah, the suit of cups is is what we think, Michael and I, we think it's the formation of things because we're talking about not what's in the cup, we're talking about the outer so we don't see cups as emotions in the tarot, Kabbalistically speaking. So again, that idea of formulating things, you know, and dissolving things like you're saying with Pisces and formulating, you know, something tangible, making it might be a, a good idea with Mercury in retrograde in Pisces. So, and again, you, you can say you have these experiences that are like typical of Mercury retrograde, but Remember, you bring consciousness to things, and I have a different experience a lot of times with Mercury retrograde than a lot of people, because I have a different consciousness about it. And it's not right or wrong, but it, it's how you approach all of this metaphysical work. Uh, and then, did you have anything you wanted to add about any of the other astrological things before we go on? Um, well, we have a new know, moon. The, uh, in. the the Uranus Uranus is going into Taurus, so that's mm -hmm. like a pretty big. Um, grand baton being tossed <laughs> into um, a new era of things um, and then we do have our new moon in Pisces as well um, and they're happening all in three days of each other so if you're watching this report today or sometime this week you're in the middle of it now <laughs> so it's sort of you know the, yeah the energies for you might be a little intense I have felt some intent I'm a Taurus so I I've been feeling some intensity coming in me personally, and it could be my chart, I've been feeling Uranus inching close to me. I ha I had AAA come by twice last week. or <laughs> it, it was first my battery, I just bought a used car, beautiful car, and the battery, I thought it was good, and it wasn't. So AAA came, and they said, all you need is a jump, and it wasn't just a jump. Uh, they I drove the car for another you know, trip, and then I needed AAA to come back, and then they had to give me another battery. And then five days later, I left my lights on, which I haven't done probably in a decade. So it was interesting because it, it's a different, it's not that you have to be like, I mean, I'm certainly not saying there has to be any sort of, um, you have to worry about it. But often when energies shift, there's a certain sense as human beings that we feel it. Again, just ground yourself. Nothing bad or horrible is going to happen because... <laughs> Uranus is going into, we're not going to get huge tornadoes all of a sudden that day. Um, we're not, the, the economy is not going to all crash in one day. Um, as a matter of fact, um, the last time Uranus was in Taurus, uh, Roosevelt was president and he did a lot with the New Deal. He did a lot for uh, protecting people in the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, and all of those, one, I mean, lots of things to do with the quality of our environment, of, mm -hmm. of, of, of the economy and of workers. So cool. it's, there's a lot, and agriculture is gonna be very affected very positively. We're probably gonna go more towards biodynamic, you know, how to how to um, create things in a way that that isn't unnatural anymore. You know, I mean, this stuff is, I think, all gonna, and I do think that relationships are gonna restructure and we're gonna find ourselves not staying in old kind of structures for old reasons. Cool, yeah. I like that. So, Michael, did you want to talk about the upcoming shows before we get into the heart of the show tonight? Absolutely. We've got some really great shows coming up. I'm super excited about this month and looking forward to it for a bit. Next week, in particular, we have a Hollywood ghost hunter, Rick McCallum. 
And Rick is a really cool guy. We had a, a very entertaining hour and a half chat on the phone. Um, he's the stuntman in horror films, and he was a ghost hunter since long before it was popular on TV and stuff. And he's friends with all the ghost hunters on TV, Zach Baggins and all those guys. They all hang out together. Um, so he's going to come in, and we're going to do an hour on ghosts and ghost hunting. Um, and then afterwards, for our viewers, unfortunately, it'll be after the show, we're going to do a, a ghost hunt in our building, which we believe is haunted. So he's bringing some of his friends, and we're going to do that. We'll maybe try and shoot a little bit of video of it or something and share with you guys on our website. But uh, we're kind of excited about that and looking forward to it and seeing where that all goes. And then the following week, um, we have a really great author on whose name is uh, Mabel Rodriguez. And she's a, a local person here in the marina. Um, and she's, got a, she's kind of a healer. She was a nurse. She's a life coach. Um, and she went through some very difficult things. So she has uh, thoughts about working through the dark side of life and, and uh, really amazing stories. So we're, we're going to be excited to have her on as well. Um, I know Krista's been you know, feverishly reading her book to prepare. So <laughs> I, I think that she's, <laughs> she's an expert on it, hopefully, at this point. But I think the, having a healer on is going to be fascinating and and, uh, you know, she just has an amazing backstory. So I think you guys want to tune in for that. Um, and then the following week, Justin from my Masonic Lodge is on, a, a fellow Mason, an officer of our lodge. And he is a hypnotist. So he's going to talk about hypnosis and hypnotism and some of his thoughts and experiments on that that he's been doing. And so I think he'll be a very interesting character, too. So and then end of the month, we'll figure it out as we go. So hopefully that'll be it. Um, just wanted to mention to all our listeners out there that, you know, it's great having you guys on YouTube. But if you can't join us on YouTube, you're in the car or something, that our show is now on podcast on Spotify and iTunes and Google Play. We kind of always forget to mention that. So you kind of want to put that out there for any of you who are not aware of that. And, of course, you can get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com. Um, as well as information on upcoming shows and all that good stuff. So I'm going to turn it over to you guys, and I'll probably jump in a lot because this is one of my passions, and I'm sure I'll have some stories to tell and some things to, to share. Um, and I'm really looking forward to tonight. We get a lot of questions as readers about how do I spot a fake and what should I do and this and that. So I think this will be a good show, and, and I'm looking forward to it. So let's get into it. All right. Well, uh, first of all, uh, I can speak for Michael and myself. We have been full-time professional readers for over 20 years. With This is our living. <laughs> we don't do it as a side job. And the only thing that gives us an advantage is we've done thousands of readings, at least combined 40,000 readings. And that gives you a lot of experiences with just working with people. But forget about the prediction and all that. You just get to meet all kinds of people. And that certainly helps you to see what issues come up. And the first thing I wanted to bring up as a reader, if you want to do readings for others, and I include hobbies. I mean, being a reader as a hobby professionally, I still think it should be seen as uh, taken seriously. Like you should approach it with the same thing like anything else, because it, it's an archetypal thing to go to the Oracle and you really affect people whether you mean to or not. So the first thing I would tell someone is to know thyself. It was one of the Delphic maxims inscribed in the forecourt of the Temple of Apollo at Delphi. And what I mean by that is you really spend time looking inside oneself to get to know who you are, your strengths, your weaknesses, uh, your biases. This is going to really help you when you do readings and also, of course, to work on yourself. But if I know my strengths, I can lean on them. If I know my biases, I can not let them interfere with the reading itself. 
so you can learn to be more objective about the reading. Now, you would think that, that everybody is, but that's not true. There, there's a lot of times people's opinions come into a reading, which is a different thing from just giving the reading based on what the astrology says, what the tarot cards say. Uh, and then also knowing yourself, you, you, the more I, I know myself, the more I can relate to all kinds of people. You know, the more connected I am to who I am and I'm authentic, it's easier to sit down with a variety of personalities that, you know, you can get along with. So that would be my first piece of advice. Make sure you do know yourself. Uh, one fun way to test your biases, which I think I got this from Silver Ravenwolf's book. You can, this is with the tarot anyway. You can take out your deck and you can look at all the cards that you absolutely adore and take them out and all the cards that you're terrified of. Those are your biases. <laughs> and then you can figure out what they are, but you eventually you want to not have your favorite card or the one that you're mortified by because that's something you need to work out for yourself. And it really works. Everyone has different cards they're like totally in love with and some that, you know, uh, they hate. I mean, a lot of readers love the high priestess to begin with, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you know, I know I did. So that's, that's my piece of advice. What would you say? I think it's something that you really feel called to do. Um, it's not something to kind of just... I feel like a lot of times very well-meaning kind of people that, that are on a spiritual path, they kind of feel that, well, this is something that I can do and I can go read a book and I can learn all these meanings and then I can use my intuition and then start a business right away. And, and I'm not saying if what's good and what's bad, but I think that it really feels, you have to feel like, oh my God, I can't not read the cards. <laughs> I can't, I, I'm just so drawn to, uh, you know, one psychic that I knew, she's an esthetician, and she would be working on people's faces and she would literally be getting messages from like the dead from them to the, to the point where one time she was working on someone's face and the mother had just passed and she said, I am so sorry, but I, this, I also, you know, and she was not uh, an outed psychic at that point. It was just something that she'd had and she had another career and, and she said, can I please give you some messages because it's really coming out. Like I can't, I can't avoid it. I really feel like I need to give these to you. She was very gentle and the woman was like, oh yes, yes. And you know, that's when she kind of began her journey of kind of talking and even saying the word, I'm a medium or a psychic. And so I feel like it has to be something that you really feel called and there's like a passion. There's like, you know, I really feel drawn to help people in this specific way or I'm getting messages that have to be told or you're looking at the cards and it's more than just fun for yourself in the evenings or every morning or it's more than just something you like to do with your friends every now and then to help each other out it really is something that you feel very called almost and I and I you know I think I I always associate callings with nuns because I went to Catholic school <laughs> <laughs> and um which I which is another episode altogether but I remember this one very lovely older nun just saying how her life really felt complete we wow. were doing an interview with all the Sisters of Mercy in my religion mm. class. And, and she goes, I felt complete. And I never really felt complete. And I had a boy who was interested in me and he wanted to marry me. 
And then I just found myself spending the night at the convent. And I was with the other um, novitiate, you know, um, I'm going to say the wrong, novitiates, I believe. And I wasn't a novitiate, but I was there spending the night and I felt complete. And I do feel like card reading and, and mediumship and all these, it, you ha it, it really has to be something that really kind of um, is something that you really feel is part of who you are, not just something you're forcing. And it definitely, and I really do have a problem with people. Yeah, I have a problem with people that are just interested in spirituality and then feel like well I don't like my job or I need some more money and I'm really interested in spiritual and they can have all the well-meaning in the world but if you're going to be giving people advice it needs to be something that you're not just learning and doing for the heck of it or because you feel oh I just feel so drawn to the Akashic records I feel so drawn to tarot I feel it, it has to be something that you really are willing to share and share with integrity and share with neutrality. So that Mark, was a lot. <laughs> that was good, though. No, I agree with that. Uh, Michael, what would be your first piece of advice? Ooh, um, let's see. What would I say to anyone? Well, I think that Kristen's right. I think you have to have a passion, but I think that's true of most things in life. If you're doing something you're not that into, you're never going to be the best at it. So I think you have to care. Um, I think that for anyone who's embarking on being a reader, I, I think the most important things for me are the same thing I, I look for in any great spiritual teacher. And, and the two qualities that to me are the most important are patience and humility. Um, I think when it becomes about ego and it becomes about how right you are and you don't care about the person you're reading for anymore, it's all about proving something, I think that those people hurt a lot of people. And so I would always encourage anyone starting out that it's not about proving anything. It's not about being a great reader and being flawless and all that stuff. It's about helping people. And, and when I, I remember when I first started this journey, you know, years ago, I, I was concerned about that. So I had sort of a, a talk with my higher self, if you will. And, and I said, you know, here's the deal. Um, I want to, I, I realize sometimes people maybe shouldn't know everything. And so I don't want to have to make that decision. So whatever they're meant to know, I want you to show me. And if they're not meant to know something, I don't want to see it. Um, and it was my way of, of, I think, setting a boundary that I think was important. And, and I, I think I've tried to maintain that over the years. Uh, a couple of things I also tell people in, in when I give them a reading, and they're brand new to it especially, I say, first of all, I think you have to be honest with people. I think if you're going to lie to them, how do you help them? So for me, I think honesty is important, and I think you, you should always be honest with people you read for and not just tell them something to make them happy. Um, having said that, I always tell people there's no such thing as a bad reading, just bad readers. Um, and that while being honest with you, a reading should either give you good news or should give you good advice. But either way, it should be helpful and constructive. And then the last thing is that uh, you still have to show up and do the work. So in the end, we can give advice. I can let you know the kind of energies that are going on in your life, and maybe this is a good social energy, and it's a time to be going places and making friends and extending yourself in that way or networking. Um, and then the person chooses to sit home and watch television. And, you know, I learned that lesson when I, I first started as a reader. I had a friend who was unemployed, and I, I did a reading for him, and I said, well, the next three weeks look pretty promising, and, uh, and I don't think you'll have any trouble getting a job. And so I ran him to about a month later, and he was angry with me because he never even got an interview, let alone a job. And... And I thought, well, that's really weird because I thought that was a very favorable energy. So I said, how many places did you apply? And he said, none. And I'm thinking, is this my freaking fault now? You know, I mean, seriously, dude. Um, and had he even made a tiny bit of effort to help himself with that energy, I think he would have been successful. But in the end, he chose to 
you know, sit home and watch television for three weeks and expect a job to, I guess, fall out of the heavens or something, and it just never happens. So I think that those are the basic things. Um, I think we'll talk hopefully about what's realistic in a reading and what to expect and maybe how to spot some fakes that are out there. And unfortunately, there's still a lot of those people too. So let me kick it back to you guys, and, you know, I'll jump in again, I think. Oh, that was great. Uh, that's a good idea. What what exactly constitutes a reading? And again, we're going to have a lot of different opinions about this if you ask readers, but the way I see a reading with, say, the tarot, that's my main tool, though I also do palmistry, is that we're looking for probabilities and patterns. And these patterns and probabilities are not set in a vacuum. They are based on things that you have already set up things that you are about to set up and what I kind of call the cosmic forces playing with you. And so we're looking at, and that's why uh, both Michael and I think you cannot do a one card reading. There's no context. There's no, it could be anything. You, to me, you have to have a minimum of three cards. That's the minimum because we're looking at relationships. We're looking at patterns forming. And um, so one of the things I think uh, about what's realistic in a reading well, okay, sometimes a person, including myself, I can get specific psychic things sometimes, hits and things like that. And yet I have found my own personal experience with psychicism is I can't control it. There are some readings, I don't know why I'll get something really specific, like the a name of a town. And to me, it comes as a story, but then the person will say, well, that specific name of the town means this to me. So I think that it isn't so much about being like a psychic that knows all the specific things. It's about looking at energies and, and patterns that can play out in different ways as well. So I, I want to emphasize because there can be variables about how something can play out. So that's one of the things I think that's realistic. Um, I think that when, I think people sometimes exaggerate what's a, a reading and, and in that, you know, I, I'm a huge optimist, so that's fine. But there, there can be things that, I guess it's from hearing what people would tell me, like I'm a grounded reader. And I think some people use language that's very like out there and, you know, the angels are speaking to you now. And, and you know, I'm not even saying that it's not possible to say that. It's more the exaggeration of it. And, and if it's done a lot in a reading, it's not, it might help a teenager, <laughs> you know, but it's not really that helpful. And I, I honestly... I've only had maybe a handful of readings that included a little bit of that. So to me, when I hear it, I just don't relate to it at all. And I've been to some really great readers myself that really have said uncanny things. Um, you can definitely say things like, to me as a reader, you'll the person will say, I was just saying that to my friend. And you end up saying the exact words and phrase. That is a psychic thing, but... That's part of uh, something I'll talk about a little later. The gift of gab is, is part of being a good reader. So to me, I think that a readings, they, they also have to be understandable. So I have to be able to understand what that reader is telling me so I can actually apply it. If it gets too esoteric or convoluted, then how are they going to receive the reading? And again, that's part of communication, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting because some people can <laughs> use language to sort of make um, put on the big show is what I want to say. Some people want to put on the big show and, and without really saying anything really concrete. And it's interesting how sometimes it's almost like you're, you're talking around it and you sound really good, but you're not really saying anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, you know, some people have like the get up and the whole thing and it's, and it's, um, 
you kind of go in there and like you, you're kind of high when you're in the reading, but then you walk out and you're like, what just happened? Like, what did they really say? But you were so thrilled when you were in it. And I think there can be a bit of a, this is a weird word, but a bit of a Svengali kind of like energy sometimes. That, and people, and it's really funny, but I think of some people that instead of putting on the big show, if you just would focus that energy into actually focusing on your medium and telling a clear message, then it would be more useful mm -hmm. over time than than kind of talking in circles around a person to kind of, and the Palladians this or the Archangel that. And, you know, and I actually do enjoy working with the angels, but I do feel like sometimes people, you know, and I'm just going to call out Doreen Virtue, and I don't care if you don't like me. <laughs> but, like, you know, a lot, I, I get sick and tired of readers that, like, look at the card and then read what Doreen Virtue wrote. Like, as we all know that her tarot cards are very specific, and they, I'm sorry, in my personal opinion, are watered down to be more like tools to play with, really more than to give, like, a serious reading with. And I am so sorry if I'm insulting you and you've had an, an intensely amazing reading with somebody using those cards. But I, but people will like, oh, look, and, and they'll pick up the card, and they'll read what she wrote, because you know if anybody who's seen a Doreen Virtue card, she actually will write a whole bunch of words and sometimes even a prayer or a phrase and kind of just tell you what the card is. So there's no intuition. And I'm like, wait a second, you're just reading what Doreen Virtue wrote. <laughs> and I don't even like that to begin. But, but I actually have had a few readers use her cards and give me very profound readings because they were just using the images Right, as a sounding board. As a sounding board, as opposed to sitting there and reading exactly, and it's this, and I'm like, but I could have hired Doreen Virtue to do it, you know what I mean? Um, anyway. Well, and that's interesting. The, the other thing is, I, I think, um, I really don't like it when they write on tarot cards. There is a deck where they actually write phrases on a tarot card. Yeah. Because I believe people are way more capable of understanding the tarot imagery, and I feel like, people are talking down to people it's like they're spoon feeding right. everybody as opposed right. to like helping them work help it's, it's helping us work with our intuition yeah. look at the card what do you think it means it doesn't matter if you're wrong what, what is wrong you know yeah well and that's actually a very good point uh one of the things i think is important if you want to do readings for other people anyone even if it's your friends is not to be afraid of failing so one of the things about me as a strength, even now, I'm not afraid to fail. I, it's not, I, I know I'm going to be wrong. I know that I'm always, and it doesn't bother me because I've gone to readers that haven't always been right. I don't, that's an unrealist expectation. And people that say that, readers that say I'm 100% right, please stay away from them. They don't know that, first of all, because the ones that they were wrong with never came back. Right. <laughs> so, you know, so you're going to hit it. You're going to miss the mark. There are times where I've gone, oh, my God, I missed that whole thing after the fact. I still do that sometimes. Oh, I forgot to tell them that thing. I don't know why. And then, um, but it's okay. It's part of the process, you know, and you get, you're going to, you're going to take risks. So as a, a person doing readings, you're only going to grow by taking a risk. And that's how, for instance, Michael and I became good with timing. We took a lot of risks. I just said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to time it. I'm going to be specific about the timing. And we figured our own system. And, you know, I'm still wrong. I'm, I'm going to be wrong sometimes. I'm hopefully, though, right enough and helpful enough that people come back and they, they feel it's overall good advice. And, and, and secondarily to that thought, 
Uh, please, you know, if you're very gullible and you're going to readers, just know you should not always just believe everything you hear, even if it's someone you care about. But I, I, I'm a little uncomfortable if people don't use their own thought and um, decide what they want to take from the readings. Because after all, it is your life and you're going to be the one to use the information. So it's very important that you realize you're co-creating with the reader and that it's just one viewpoint in a sense. Sometimes getting information can actually change things. Like if, if let's say you're going to a reader and they're seeing a certain pattern, and you're like, okay, I, that wasn't quite what I wanted to hear, but okay, I can be okay with that, which is another thing, is you're not always going to hear things you want to hear in a reading. And sometimes those things that you don't want to hear are accurate. <laughs> and um, it's, it's about if, you, if you're going to ask for the advice then or ask to, to know, then you're asking to know. And it's not, you know, to get mad or upset or, you know, if you don't want to know, then don't. I, I know a lot of people that won't go to readers because they, they admit, I don't want to know. Mm -hmm. So if you really don't, don't pretend like you want to know and then don't want to know. Um, but you know, you, it, it's about distrusting your own instincts, you know, with readers. If something feels wrong, then it probably is. And you know, it's, you gave it a shot. You, you have, you, and I, you do have to take risks to be better. You have to often kind of spin around the mark, you know, um, I know for myself, when people ask questions that I'm not used to, um, like for example, you know, I've had several questions lately from people asking me if their love interest is, um, uh, has, is into the, into the same sex. So somebody's, and it's interesting because it all ha it happened three times in a row where someone said, I have a love interest, but I think they might really be into men or women and I don't really know. And so I kind of, I had never even thought of that question and I had to take a risk and on the fly, make a decision in my head. If it's this or that, then it's going to come up like this in the cards. Got to <laughs> tell you a funny story, Kristen. About and we, I've gotten that question before too. To be honest, I think Krista probably has as well. Um, but I'll tell you the funniest story. Uh, that I was sitting doing a reading this one day. This woman came along, got a reading, and she was from Eastern Europe somewhere. She had that thick Eastern European accent, and she looked like a grandmother. She was probably in her sixties, uh, maybe well into her sixties. And so anyway, um, she sits down. She says, I would like to do a reading about my, my husband. And I said, okay. So we did a reading about her marriage. She said, well, that was good. She said, now I want to do a reading about my boyfriend. So we, we did a reading about her boyfriend. And she said, okay, that, now I would like to do a reading about the new guy I've started seeing. <laughs> now, now I'm getting intrigued, right? How do you manage your life? I mean, seriously, you've got a husband and two boyfriends on the go. So, so but, you know, and she asked. So we do a reading on, on that relationship as well for her. Um, and then I, I said, well, is there anything else you would like to do? She said, well, I wasn't really going to ask, but maybe we should look at my lesbian relationship too. <laughs> so, so she has a good life, whatever she's doing. So, I'm, and of course, logistically, I'm just wondering, how the heck do you juggle a life like that? You know? but, but people will ask you strange things in a reading, and sometimes, and, and again, we don't judge. It, it was her life, and it's her thing. And, and one of the things I do with people too is quite often when I, I can do it, is I like to do readings double blind, so I don't even know what I'm reading about. Um, because the nice part about that is then you're purely objective. You just go by the cards, um, and, and you can't sort of bring your own point of view into it, so to speak. And, and there are ways that I can, we can structure readings so that we can do it double-blind. And I think that's always a big advantage when you can do that. 
I think um, I wanted to also talk about when you're approaching a reading, that idea that Kristen mentioned about really wanting the reading. So I, I wish I could remember the exact quote, but Edgar Casey, in one of his trans sessions, talks about approaching a reading. And he talks about being truly honest and open and sincere um, to want the reading. And one of the things I personally have experienced, because I have just by luck approached readings that way, I'm one of these people, I get good readings from almost everybody of every level, and I'm very easy to work with. And so when I came across that, it's because I really want the reader. I, I Even when I know what I know, I still want someone that, if I say, well, on a tarot card reading, I'm gonna put aside all of my knowledge of tarot because I wanna hear it from them and I'm open to it. And that's where you're, you're establishing that, that co-relationship. It doesn't mean you can't be skeptical or discerning. You know, I, I did have to be a little more discerning, but I was very fortunate. I have good instincts about going to readers. That's one of the things I'm good at. But at the same time, that openness, you'll get a, a better reading, that expectation. Like, I really want to know, you know, what's going on. I really want to understand it. And it helps the reader as well. But basically, it's coming down because you're opening that portal so that the reader, who I, I consider myself sort of a translator, and I'm just that in-between being that hopefully can be objective and read the, what's coming through. Uh, but it's, it's really important, I think, for both the reader and the person getting the reading that you, you really, and, and it's okay if you don't want to know. I had a reading one time, we were, we were in the middle of the reading, and this woman asked a question, and she's, I don't know if I really want to know it. We had the cards laid out. And then I said, well, we don't have to turn them over. And she goes, I don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't That's turn them funny. over. And I said, you know, because I said, do you really want to? I said, and, and it was fine. I was cool with it. She was cool with it. And we, I can't remember the question, but it was whatever that question. We just said, no, never mind, she said. Because right. <laughs> no, this is the thing is that if you're going to take in the information, then you can't pretend like you didn't get the information. You, you know what I mean? It's, it's like if you're going to take it in and listen to it, then you can't leave and say, well, maybe something else will happen or this or that. If you if if you've absorbed it, if you've listened to it, then you do have to take the consequences of understanding it. Now, maybe that means that you're going to do things differently, or you have a new understanding, or you have to realize that something is not going to be quite as you wanted, or you might have to wait longer for that person, or whatever it is. But you can't just hear the information and then pretend. And you can't. Well, that reader sucks. Because we all know that there's a difference between hearing information that you wished had come out differently and a bad reading, you know? And I think that the lines can be blurred when you're hearing things you don't want to hear to say, well, the reading was bad, you know? Um, another problem that you can fall into with this is, is getting multiple readings. Now, look, I... I love to get tarot card readings and have been in phases where I've gotten way too much. So I'm raising my hand if you're in the podcast. I'm raising <laughs> my hand. I've done those things. There's nothing wrong with exploring the esoteric. But if you're going to do things like that, you're going to get confused. Because who's the, be who's the better reader? The person that said the things you wanted to hear or the person that didn't? So you have to be careful when you play. And I'm sorry, but I do feel these energies play with you. Like if you play with magic, magic will play back. Just to add on to what Kristen was saying, too, and, and I agree with Kristen, 
But from a reader's point of view, if you're getting a reading too frequently, it's hard on the reader too. Mm. And one of the things that's important in a reading is beginner's mind, that we're coming into it from a very objective point of view in that moment. And if you just got a reading from me yesterday and you're back getting a reading from me the next day on the same subject, I basically right. haven't had time to forget. And I like to have time to forget. And I also think it's important that you take the advice in the reading and then do something with it for a little bit. Do some work, you know, try and make some things happen. But give it that little distance, that little bit of time. And then if you want to come back in two months and check in or somewhere down the road, unless something, you know, earth-shaking happens in the meantime. But I think that it's important to spread the mode. And and some people, we have literally people that would get a reading every day if they could. And, and that's mm. just not... And then the other thing I think that goes with that is if it gets to the point where you can't decide what to have for supper without talking to three readers, you have a problem. Right. You know? And you should be able to still run your life and make basic decisions without getting a reading. Well, so. often, especially if you are going to a talented reader, and I just know from my own personal experience, somebody you'll get a reading on something. And it will be really, it'll be a good reading, not because everything they said was butterflies and hearts, but because you know in your that this was a good reading. And an example of, I was asking about, I think, romance, and someone said, actually, it's going to turn out in the end really great. You're going to get, it's going to happen, but this person has to go through a dark night of the soul. It's not going to be easy, blah, blah, blah. And then because I just got so, you, you get so upset. And then I, th I think I was getting readings like every two weeks or something. You don't have time. It's like what Michael was saying. You don't have time for anything to take place. So a good, talented reader will catch the energy that's in that moment. So let's say I went to Michael and I said this thing about this man I'm dating. And he gave me a reading and he said this is what's going to happen. Or this is, or these are the energies and it's going to look like this probably towards the end. And then, But then I check in too soon it, he's going to catch, you know, he, he's not giving the overall. It's like kind of what he was saying. You're not forgetting about it. So as opposed to giving you this overall sort of like pattern of the relationship, now you're going into like these little crevices of it, into these every day, into every week. I mean, I mean I've never done one every day. So, I mean, at least I've got that going for me. But, <laughs> but, but you know, what I mean? if you've done one every week, every other week or something, there's no time for progress. And the reader is not going to see the overall pattern, so to speak. They're going to start seeing the week to week, the month to month. And if, and if someone said someone's going to have to go through the dark night of the soul before you have a union, let's say, with them, and that's going to take a year, and you're getting readings once a month, then you're going to hear a lot of maybe stuff that you and them are going through, or you might have a separation before you get back together, or all kind. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's better just to let be. And, and do checkups as opposed to wait for something to happen right. maybe before you before you jump back into having to check in all the time for it. Another interesting idea or topic is um, what are taboo topics to predict? And um, probably one of the biggest ones is death. Is that a t and this is a question. Is this a taboo topic? I think it's it's a contextual thing. So when I first started reading in Halifax, we were reading in a little mall, and I remember sitting with this young woman, and uh, I thought for some reason, looking at the cards, that a very distant relative was going to die, and I just thought that would be okay to say, and because I I didn't think it was that you know big a deal, and I don't even know why I even thought I'd say it. And I was young and in the reading business, and. So I, and I even said it that way. I don't, I don't think it's, you know, really going to be someone you're really close to. And, and it's, you know, but I just wanted to tell you that could happen this year. She just completely turned like white. She got up. She started running away. So what I did was I said, I'm probably completely wrong. That I, I think I'm completely oh, wrong. Because no. 
it was about it's not it wasn't about um it's never about scaring people and so the topic of death is an interesting one because a lot of times people that are psychic by you know maybe just intuitively or psychic without cards they'll say oh i knew so and so was gonna die you know and and i thought oh, okay well that's an ego thing um so I, I so for a long time i didn't talk about death at all unless i had seen they'd gone through a loss and then i got to the point where I had a regular client who's who had an elderly uh, mother, and he wanted to know if she might die that year. And I thought, well, that's a fair question. He he's prepared. She's very, you know, she's an invalid. She has dementia. So the interesting thing, though, because by then I was a little bit more good with nuances, is I saw this one month where I thought she could die, and that's how I phrased it. I said, well, this is a month where, you know, she's vulnerable to death. And then I said something kind of odd. I said. Uh, even at the time, I said, well, but if she gets through this month, she's going to live not only a lot longer, but she's going to get a little clearer, like her dementia is going to subside a bit. So I remember thinking like, well, that's really crazy, Krista. But I, I read the cards. Sure enough, that month, there was something where in her bed, the way she was laying on this bed that was maybe caused some kind of infection. And okay. But because he was aware, he went every day to see her. Right. She made it through that month. And then she actually did get a little bit clearer. She started remembering who he was, and she lived, like, I think almost another year. Right. And with no major, you know, she just kind of died peacefully at the end. And I remember thinking, like, oh, so I can talk about the probable times that people, if they have illnesses, especially terminal ones, that they could die. Right. And that way they can either be prepared or perhaps even prolong in this case, because, you know, in his case, he was taking such good care of her. I think right. he was super in attentive. So that's what I do now. Um, I personally will not predict a death randomly because of how it affects people. Now, in my own personal life, if I thought something was going to happen to my husband, I would certainly say something to him, but that's different. You know, if I feel I've had a dream once where I thought this bus came really close to the curb and it was like a very realistic dream. And I said, you right. know, just be careful today. And it's probably nothing. And, he, and Michael said he was careful and there was a bus that kind of came near him. So I thought, okay, okay. that was a little warning. Right. So, uh, you know, that that's okay to do in your own life with the people you love. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, the answer to that, but it is, it's a tricky topic. You know, it's, a, I, I know that Michael sometimes will sort of give people a length of life. I've heard him talk about, you know, oh, I think you'll live to be 85 or 90. And I suppose it probably has to do with the client if, if they're kind of open to that discussion, because ultimately I think we probably do need to get a little more comfortable with just discussing death in general in our culture and, right. and not being afraid. But now I have to kind of sense if what I can and cannot do with someone, because I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to wound them over, you know, I don't want to scare them. And, and I know that some people think, well, Krista, you should just be truthful. I said, well, Yes and no. I mean, I don't want someone to never get a reading again because I scared them away. So I'm not I'm not one of these people that thinks you should say everything bluntly to people. I, I don't think that's helpful personally. I don't lie, though. I'm not going to lie about something. Right. Oddly enough, the first <laughs> big prediction I ever did, which was about a year and a half ago, and I was still just doing readings for friends and family, and it was my uncle, and most of the time when you get the death card, it really isn't about a death. <laughs> There's so many other things that the death card can mean. Um, but because of the circumstance and the person uh, was diagnosed with cancer, um, but they were not, it wasn't supposed to be terminal, but it was whatever was, and I can't remember the reading, but whatever was around the cards, I said, you know, he might pass. 
I think he's going to pass. And my uncle was like, well, no, I, I just, he hasn't been predicted. The doctor didn't say that. He said, well, don't, I don't think he's ever going to come back to work. He goes, well, yeah, we were all preparing for that. But I said to my uncle, I said, I think either he, if he doesn't pass, he's never coming back and you're going to get his job and they're going to throw money at you and all this stuff. And he's like, no. And then like a couple of months later, he specifically called me and said he, not only did he die, but he got a promotion and they threw all this money at him because they needed him to take over. And I ha it's just bizarre because the death card normally never, I mean, I have, I mean, I even have a family member who's like, oh, I, what happens if my kid gets the death card? No, I don't want you to give him a reading because what if he gets the death card? And I'm like, if he gets a death card, I actually would be happy for him because it would mean a lot of good things. But anyway, it just was very bizarre that one of my first big kind of like predictions that made me feel like I could do that happened to be the death card and it happened to be that. So that's that interesting. kind of brings me to another point. And, and there was, a, again, uh, my friend asked the other night, how do you spot a fake? Um, literalists, you know, they take the cards so literally and the cards are metaphors. They're not literal. So they, they don't really see that. You know, like you were saying, death isn't necessarily death. You know, that's not what it's about. And yet they'll just read that card, oh, it's death, and death becomes death, and it just is a, a very, very literal thing. Um, another thing that can help people if you're looking at possible readers that I think can help spot someone who's not legitimate, just exaggeration. You know, you look at their bio, and they do everything under the friggin' sun. You know, I'm a palm reader, I'm an astrologer, I'm a tarot reader, I do past life regression, I do this, I do that, and it's like a, an encyclopedia of what you can do, any one of which would take decades to really be good at. So it's, you know, it's just this exaggeration. If something becomes popular, next thing you know, that's on their bio too. Yeah, I can do that as well, you know, and so and you just get that sense that they're exaggerating, and I think a really good reader that I've met, all the great ones, they, they do what they do. They don't exaggerate. They, they just, you know, and, and usually they'll, they'll do a couple of things, and they'll do it incredibly well as opposed to literally everything. And then, and then please don't be afraid to ask the reader questions, you know, especially if you do a little bit of research ahead of time. I'll tell you a funny story. We were at the Bodhi Tree, and, and there was a woman, a very gypsy-like woman, that wanted to be a reader there, and she does numerology. And, um, and I don't know a whole lot about numerology, but then Josh, my, my friend who's a numerologist, happened to come along and said, oh, Josh, guess what? This woman's a numerology too numerologist too. So he gets excited and he starts asking her all these questions. Well, do you do this? Do you do that? Is your, is your system based on? And she's like, oh, got to go now. <laughs> she just, <laughs> gone. <laughs> right? So I thought, you know, probably a fake because <laughs> she couldn't answer. She didn't know what the heck he was even talking about. And she was supposed to be a master numerologist, you know. So you know, please do a little research ahead of time and arm yourself with a little bit of knowledge. And as I said, if, if it seems too good to be true, just like everything else in life, it probably is. Um, and then another thing, if you're getting a reading from person, is that they shouldn't be pumping you for all kinds of information and just feeding it back to you, that mm -hmm. cold reading technique. And we've overheard readers definitely doing that. Um, so there, there are tells, you know. And we were at an event one time, and there was a reader next to us, and it was a, a country club. It was a very well-to-do event. And she was basically giving everybody the exact same reading. And, and as they sat down, it was all about, oh, I see you traveling. I'm thinking, these are rich people. They travel. That's what they do. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they can afford to go to the, the Caribbean for vacation. So I thought, yeah, whatever. Um, but that was all it was. And it was very, very general stuff. But things that would obviously apply to everyone that was there, you know, because as I said, wealthy people do happen to travel a lot. That just tends to be the case. So like I said, if it seems too good to be true, whether it's their bio or whether it's, you know, just pay attention to that and, and trust your instincts. And as I was saying earlier, too, and I'll let you guys jump back in, um, if you're going to a new reader and you have a friend that wants to sit in on the reading with you and you ask and the reader says, no, it has to be just you, 
or in that, that case, ask if you can record the reading. If they say, no, you know, you can't do that, that's a big red flag. Because I've never met a legitimate reader that ever minded being recorded or something, the reading, and people like to play it back later. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I've never met a fraudulent one that ever allowed it because they're going to try and tell you that you have a curse and that you have to give them their life savings or, you know, you'll never be able to be in love and, unless you do this and it's going to cost you thousands and thousands of dollars for candles. And the last thing they want you doing is going to the cops with a recording. Because if you don't have it on record, then it's just my word against yours. It was a big misunderstanding. But if you can play the recording for the cop, then, then they're in trouble. So they'll never allow it. And, and I think that that's always a good sign. So even if you don't intend to record it, if it's a new reader, ask, do you mind if I record this reading? And, and if they get all nervous, then I, I think, you know, as I said, view that with caution. I, you know, I'd like to add the whole concept of working with tools. Um, I really, only when I came to Los Angeles did I find, and, and I used to hire some of the readers at the Bodhi Tree, and they'd come in with their resumes, and they'd have so many things on their resume that it was unbelievable, and some of them were quite young. <laughs> so I, I agree with Michael. Look, like a lot of us are going to dabble with all kinds of things on, in metaphysics on the side. Like I, I know a lot about of astrology, but I respect it enough to know that I'm not an astrologer, a professional one. And yet sometimes I know more than even professional ones, which is a little scary. <laughs> so, you know, what kind of tool are you going to use? Now, some people that are mediums don't use a tool at all. And that's perfectly fine. If that's who you are, that's who you are. But tools should be based on interest. What do you find fascinating? You know, uh, you can tell immediately if someone's fascinated with astrology. They start learning it. They want to know about their chart. Um, they start reading the books and the same with the cards. They pick them up and they play with them and they talk about how beautiful the cards are. So Michael and I have always just kind of uh, followed our, our passions with the tarot and, and don't fall for the fads. You know, for a while there, you know, there was a huge angel card um, interest. And so, and not to say the ones doing the angel cards are not really doing them for the right reason, but there was a period where it was super popular and you'd meet people that had barely done any angel card work and they were like 25 and everybody was doing it. And they, I, I think that that faddishness to me is a sign of at least a superficial reader. They're not doing something based on their real passion in life. And the, the other thing is you're really shortchanging yourself if you don't say, I'm going to really, this is my main thing I'm going to devote myself to. I still learn things about tarot and Kabbalah. So if you want to master anything in life, you really have to spend time with the tool. Some tools take a lot longer. That's why like astrology really does take longer to learn because it's complicated. The tarot perhaps not as long, but the you know experience counts a lot with the tarot. So I, I think don't feel like you have to have 10 different tools. You don't. In fact, I know people that have only one tool right. their whole life, and they're super successful. Uh, one of my favorite astrologers, um, Julian Lee, he does a specialty, relocation astrology. That is all he does. He's amazing. He's really wonderful. I mean, it's not even just that he does all astrology. He has his own thing he does, and he's made a not only a, a good living, but he's brilliant at it, just really accurate and helpful so that's his thing he's done for many 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 years so but that's not to say you can't have one or two things I, I think that's totally possible especially because a lot of people start quite young so you can pick up you know after five years you can say well I'm going to study this as well and um, but at the same time too you don't have to some of your interests you don't have to bring them into your profession like you can be interested in in handwriting analysis and say I'm doing it for myself and maybe on my friends 
and it might you know support you in some way but you don't have to do them all you can dabble and just have fun with them and enjoy them too absolutely absolutely yeah yeah you know um i was inspired to just study more about the akashic records and um but it's the akashic records are very very complicated and i think uh, it's one of those things that's on trend a little bit right now is the mm. Akashic Record. And I see a lot of people doing Akashic Record readings and past life readings and uh, how to break a contract. And it's really because like the Akashic Records are, are, are so vast that it's not just about past life completion or, or go, talking about your past life. I mean, it's part of the Akashic Records. So it's, it's to really kind of understand something, to really kind of go in depth with it. I mean, and I'm not saying that you can start to learn something and have, and, and, and be doing readings, but it's about the experience. Just real quick, I know we only have a couple of minutes left. Um, let's end by every telling our favorite story as a reader and the thing that, that um, I'll start. Uh, it, it, I'll never top this one, I don't think. Um, was a gentleman I did a reading for a few years ago and... Um, it was the last thing he asked me about was travel and I looked at his cards and um, this was in the late early fall I think late summer early fall and I said well everything looks good except for January and I don't feel really good about January for some reason and so off he went um, and then the, the following spring he called Krista and I wasn't at home and he talked to her on the phone and he said just so you know he said I just because of that reading I decided to cancel all my travel plans in January in January every month every year I spend with my friends in Haiti I would have been there for the earthquake and the hotel I was stayed at was demolished he said I probably would have been killed that reading saved my life and so I thought wow that that makes it all worthwhile just that one thing alone so how about you Krista well I don't know the exact details anymore but I remember I did a reading for um, someone who's a friend now and she was looking to find somebody but I didn't know she had I just looked at the card and says, oh, you know, like in something like three weeks or something like, oh, you're just going to run into them. I just thought, you know, it was like a ca I thought it wasn't a big deal. Turns out she'd been looking to find this person for many years. Aww. And she did in the way it's it was kind of a random thing. And I think I'm glad I didn't know. I just I didn't I didn't guess that she for some reason it was a big deal that she and this is before Facebook and things like that where you could right. easier to track down. And she told me later and I was amazed that it, it, it was in the cars. I mean, you know, people think that being psychic on your own is more powerful than the cards. And I disagree. It can be if you're a very, very gifted psychic. But I will say I've gotten things that blow people away from having known the cards and studied Kabbalah. And it's not from only my intuition. That's why I, I think the tarot and Kabbalah are very, they're underestimated in terms of their ability to reveal things. But that was one of my favorite stories. Very cool. Very cool. So I think we're getting closer. Yeah. Is there any last uh, things you might like to add, Kristen? Well, I, I just want to let people know that if you feel bad after a reading, let it go. Because if you did get a bad, ex let's say you really did get a bad experience, like because then there are a lot of frauds out there. Um, if you feel violated, which I have after, I can think of two experiences where I actually felt violated <laughs> after a reading. Oh, that's horrible. Because people were kind of saying, they were just saying things that I wasn't even asking. Um, you know, something that you can really do to wipe it off, go into meditation Go into a bath with some uh, 
sea salt was like even even like some of those like body scrubs that are made from like the dead sea salt um no but you should never feel violated it's always it's always about being uplifted about getting good advice it should even if it's something you don't want to hear it should give you a new perspective it should always feel um productive and meaningful and magical great way to end it i totally yeah. agree and thank you all for watching please subscribe like us go to our webpage sixthsensesociety.com we look forward to seeing you next week and have a great week bye bye bye